Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Extreming Disney, the podcast focused on all things Disney+. Plus. I am your host, Peter Eklund, and on this week's show, in time of these Pixar popcorn shorts, me and my friend Tim Sutterth, um, we're going to be talking about Pixar and some of their animated shorts, which are just so delightful. Um, so that's going to be the focus of our conversation this week. And we got four that we're going to be covering, so we have plenty of conversation to be had. And of course, stick around to the end so we can talk about WandaVision, the newest episode, episode three. But um, yeah, I just want to go ahead and, and welcome Tim back to the show. Tim, thanks for being here. Absolutely. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I mean, the last time you were here, um, we were talking about Hamilton, you know? Oh, yeah. And I got I to gotta tell you, I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast much since then, but I did my top 10 of my favorite movies of the year, and I consider Hamilton to be a movie, and it was my number one. I, I did hear that. I heard that one. I was excited about that. <laughs> oh, it was just so good. It was so awesome. But it's been a while. I mean, it's been since July that we kind of had you in the studio, per se. Mm -hmm. um, what have you been up to? What's going on, man? You're out there. Wait, you're in like Kansas City area. Are you riding high on, on KC going to the Super Bowl? Yeah. Um, so we were in Kansas City for a while. We're a little bit further north now in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, we're uh, right on the Mississippi River on the border of Iowa and Illinois. And um, yes, my father-in-law or my, my in-laws live in Kansas City. My wife's from Kansas City and they've just been nonstop excited about the Super Bowl. They, um, my father-in-law in particular is Chiefs Nation all the way. Like he's a huge Chiefs fan and just is super pumped about it. Uh, we've been, so since kind of in the, I mean, since last time I talked to you, we're still sort of pandemic-y <laughs> world. And um, we've been uh, half homeschooling and half like hybrid type stuff with our kids for school. We've been um, exploring most of our homeschool curriculum has been about learning about other countries and other cultures. And so it's all kind of like based on other cultures, um, food and literature and history. And then we kind of weave in the different subjects based on whatever uh, particular country we're talking about that week we've been uh both my wife and i actually starting next monday on february 1st uh i go on sabbatical for a semester oh, wow. and oh, wow. my wife is also on her first sabbatical as a professor so we're both um going on sabbatical together and originally we were going to do a lot of traveling and writing and now we're going to do a lot of writing and staying at home uh <laughs> But sure. she's going to be working on a textbook. Um, she's been, my wife teaches speech language pathology and has long oh. been interested in the intersection of how her profession approaches people at different socioeconomic levels. Mm. So she's writing a textbook that she wished she could find to use for her class, which is speech, lang or speech language pathology and social justice, how the intersection nice. of those two things work. So that's her big project. Uh, for me, it's more of a... I didn't, I, if I can, I, I didn't oh, yeah, realize yeah. that's what, what Rachel was her main focus. My mother-in-law is a speech pathologist, and so is oh, yeah. my sister-in-law. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. No, she, she teaches master's students. Uh, she teaches uh, exclusively master's students uh, for their mm -hmm. speech path stuff. And yeah, she's, she's always been very passionate about it. She actually just started just a little while ago. She became the president of our 
Iowa state level speech association. So she's wow. now she's Madam President as well as uh, Professor Suttis. So she's collecting titles. <laughs> that's that's exciting. That's crazy, man. And I also, you know, in talking about, um, man, I part of me feels like I'm betraying my own people a little bit and having you on because, you know, being from upstate New York. My wife is from Rochester, so she is just she is a Buffalo Bills fan, <laughs> and I was I was rooting for Buffalo in the last game, man. But we just couldn't we couldn't pull it, you know. Yeah, they it it'll be interesting to see the uh, I can't, I can't remember what it, I think my favorite picture that a friend from Kansas City posted was you know it's going to be Baby Yoda versus Old Yoda to see who has mastery as quarterback. Now, the, the main reason why I had Tim come on this week, I, w- I wanted to have a guest week where somebody could come on and choose something that they were excited about or wanted to focus on. And I like to do this every once in a while because it like, you know, it's just fun to kind of see what somebody is interested in. And I wanted to have Tim come back on because we had such a great conversa- conversation around Hamilton. And I was like, dude, if you were to come on, what would you want to do? And you hit me with this just awesome idea of talking about Pixar shorts. Um, do you want to elaborate a little bit on why you chose this? Sure. Yeah. I So part of what I do um, job-wise um, as a campus minister is I do a lot of understanding how to find big truths out of the world around you um, that coincide with, a, well, essentially the idea of all of us are kind of looking for the so the same thing we just might have different language that we'd use to describe it and so if you come at someone trying to share your faith by saying everything you believe is wrong let me tell you why everything i believe is right that's not a very protective method or means to go about it and so i like i've always had an interest in looking at other people's stories and finding the connection points between my story and their story and so one of the, the classes that I've taught a number of times is uh, the idea of looking at a piece of media, be it music or visual media or uh, novels, whatever, with kind of like a three-pass approach to it. Um, kind of the first time you, you experience it just as a piece of art, uh, you enjoy it, you just kind of experience it. The second time, you kind of try to pay a little bit more attention to maybe some of the details going on. And then the third time through trying to pull out some, maybe some bigger ideas or things that like big picture things that you would be able to talk to someone about in Mm. context of that particular piece of media. Yeah. And I honestly, I think that was, that was super fun. So I, I watched, um, I I gotta be honest with you. I did not watch him three times, but I did watch him twice. <laughs> um, just due to time, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I gotta get these finished." I gotta watch them. <laughs> but um, I was, I rem- I remember a couple of them when I first saw them, but there was there was two that I've never seen before. So this was kind of like a new venture for me as well. Oh yeah. So um, well, that's cool. Yeah, and I and I think this is a really cool. Um, exercise i think it's a really important thing and i think pixar is so good at taking these ideas and then tr- putting it in front of us in interesting way and, and mostly obviously in front of our children in interesting ways mm-hmm. that are are important conversations to be had and certain re- um, realizations about life that need to be talked about 
and leave it to Pixar. You know, we've talked about this recently with, with talking about soul, but like leave it to Pixar to like give us an existential crisis, but within a kid's film, you know? Absolutely. Um, and so in talking about these shorts, let's, let's start, let's go into it, you know, and we'll kind of take these one at a time, I guess, but sure. Um, where do you want to start? Which one? Well, I think, um, what, well, wh- which ones had you watched before? I'm curious which ones you were familiar with. Um, the ones that I saw before was Bao. I think last week when I promoted it, I said Bao. And then I, upon hearing myself say it, I was like, you idiot, it's Bao. <laughs> um, and then um, also Float. Those are the two that I saw before. Oh, cool. Well, um, actually, Bao is what I was thinking we might be able to start with. Um, I think that it's a very interesting, I don't know. I think it's a very interesting thing that even upon watching three times through, I did not pick up some of the things that the filmmaker was trying to communicate until I read about Mm -hmm. it later. And so I think that it's one of the more interesting ones because I think that it's a lot more subtle than some of the other ones will be. Yeah. So I, I just... Uh, so on my first pass through it, just kind of watching my overwhelming kind of reaction to it is, oh, this is a story of an overprotective mother and her son who's chafing at her being overprotective. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's there's definitely cute elements within it, obviously. Oh, because yeah. He is embodied with being he's he's a he's a dumpling, <laughs> you know, um, which I feel like it was. Part of probably like she had some kind of cute name for him growing up that was like oh my little dumpling or whatever yeah and so it's being personified with this little dumpling person that's running around um yeah man I, I'll tell you we've I've talked about this before on the podcast but like I think my main example has been a goofy movie mm-hmm. where when I'm a teenager when I was younger when I first watched it I totally related to Max but now that the older I get the the more I feel for the for goofy or the, the mom in this case, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think it's, I think it's really creative and beautifully shown this depiction of what it's like to be a kid growing up, but also to be a parent too. And I'm not a parent, so I'd have to like look to you to kind of say, you know, have you related to this in any way, mm-hmm. you know, but, but yeah. Yeah. I, and, so then when I went through my second pass, I kind of focused more on like some smaller or just kind of details and tone kind of within everything. And I thought that it was very interesting how, how basically once, once little dumpling kid comes along, her life is about that kid. Like we don't see their family interacting. We see her and her dumpling child at yoga we see her and her dumpling child traveling on the bus we see her and her dumpling child doing everything together and yeah and i think that that's a really interesting setup for kind of you kind of you you know it's not going to end well i guess because kids grow up and when parents make their whole lives about just their kids it's it's oftentimes that's a really rough transition when they hit that empty nest moment. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, you it's you definitely see the the upbringing here, and you you have that young child 
side, but then, you know, you see him in the kind of those teenage years. Mm -hmm. And then later on when he brings his girlfriend or fiance home and there's this real sense of loss in, in the, the child you brought up and now you're kind of having to come to terms with life is different now, Yeah, you know? And it's, it's really interesting. Now, just this past week, I was um, watching a message um, from Tim Keller kind of around counterfeit gods. And he tells a story about, you know, loving something as much as you do. You know, if you love something so much and it becomes your everything, you can end up actually destroying the relationship if this is like the person that you care about the most and everything is about that person. You can end up destroying the thing that you love. And for her, she wanted to hold on so tightly to her son that you can really see a, the relationship kind of crumble and, and fracture at points, you know? Yeah. And so I thought that was super interesting. Oh, I agree. Um, and the thing that really stood out to me, their culture and in assimilating into, you know, um, being immigrants, you know? Yeah. Because you, you get the sense that like, okay, well, his girlfriend is is definitely not from this their their culture or their world you know and mm-hmm. and you get the sense that you you see the world around them it's it, they're surrounded by white people and and it's you get the sense of like oh my gosh these guys are also immigrants you know um and so there's there's cultural things there that are kind of challenging too um in 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 assimilating to another world another culture you know yeah, absolutely. So well, that was, yeah, yeah. Um, anything the, else for that well, that you saw? Well, I, I always kind of because uh, I've seen this before, and I've always kind of had a hard time trying to figure out, like, at what point is kind of like the fantasy switch to reality? Like, is this her thinking back on when her kid was younger? And so I read a little bit more about it this time, and what the filmmaker said is that the idea is that the whole thing with the dumpling is actually an allegorical dream she's having Mm -hmm. about dealing with empty nest and her son having gone off uh, on his own. And so when we get to the scene where it's the son opening the door and his mom's taking a nap and dad pushes him in, no, no, go have a talk with her that that's like the first time we see reality. Yeah that she's awoken from this dream and now we see her interacting with her real life son and that the, the dumpling is kind of like a second chance at reliving all of that in her dream. Mm. And that's not something that I picked up on. I'm not sure I would have ever picked up on that to be perfectly honest. No matter how many times I watched it. Yeah. That, that is interesting. Cause I, I don't get it as, I mean, I, I think, the way that I was picking up, it wasn't necessarily dream, but that we were just seeing the story and the moment where she, uh, it's, this is one of the the hardest parts for me is Mm -hmm. when she doesn't know what else to do and she's arguing with her son and then she, she devours him, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just that moment of like, what did I just do? You know? And I, and I think what really brought it to my mind was, you know, don't I you know oh my gosh I can't come up with the, the passage of scripture right off the top of my head you know don't say and and, and anger do these things and ch- and bite at each other because you're gonna find yourself devoured you know mm-hmm. and 
the whole aspect, I think we all know what it's like, especially with family, to be in such a heated argument or conversation. And then you say something and you do something that you just immediately regret right when you're in that moment. And then it's just like, and it's just like, I just destroyed this person. Yeah. And I destroyed our relationship completely by me and my anger or frustration saying something that I totally regret now, you know? And, and at that point it's like, yeah, he's gone. He's gone. So yeah, you get that sense that when she's in the bedroom alone and he comes back, you know, that's the restoration of putting the relationship back together is, is really reforming, you know, since the moment that she destroyed him, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is a a moment reflective of reality, actually a lot more than kind of the way that our, our next one ends. Um, If we want to go ahead and move on to float, I think is a great short. I think that it is, like clearly with the dedication at the end from the filmmaker to his son, helping him saying, thank you for helping me be a better parent. Like clearly we've got a metaphor of like living with and parenting a child who, who acts or is different than what the base expectation of children is. Yeah. And honestly, I think again, um, yeah, for moving to float, I think the first time, that I watched it now. I, I remember seeing this, I think a year ago when Disney Plus first launched, because this was one of their Spark shorts that mm-hmm. they dropped on Disney Plus. And I think when I watched it again this time for the podcast, I wasn't sure because obviously you always look for the allegory within what's being said. I'm like, now is this something that is you know kind of about race, or is this something about you know having a kid of special needs? And then upon, I think, the second view, I realized, I came around to realizing, yeah, this is definitely about raising a son who has special needs. And mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you do that when the norm is obviously different in a sense? You know, I put that in quotations, but um, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, my, my wife, she has, she's worked with, with individuals with special needs and she was like picked up on immediately. She's like, oh yeah, that, that is definitely um, what, the, what the story is here. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just beautifully done, you know. Yeah, I I agree. I so I think kind of first pass type stuff. You get what stuck with me the most is sort of the heartwarming reconciliation at the end, mm-hmm. like when the dad finally embraces the son for who he is. Um, but kind of in like a second pass, I think it's really interesting that people's reactions struck yeah. me as odd for a kid that floats right and and i know that it's a metaphor for something else and i think that the reactions are perfectly you know if you're talking about well like one one of our children is um adhd mm-hmm. and sometimes if this medicine wears off at an awkward time or something you know like he's just like one standard deviation louder than everyone else in the room Sure. And he's not doing it on purpose. He doesn't even know he's louder, but yeah. it's just enough off from what people expect that everyone is very aware of it. And those kind of reactions that we see in float are very much an accurate representation. Yeah. But I, I, I was kind of wondering, like, 
like, I feel like this is one area where the, the, the kind of metaphor, the allegory doesn't quite hold as strongly because I think that, you know, I'm not sure that my reaction, if I, I saw a parent with a kid floating and the kids floating over towards mine, that my reaction would be fear of that kid and taking my kid away. Mm. That, yeah. that was the one place where I, I, I wasn't, it wasn't quite as strong as it maybe could have been um, mm. right there. Right, right. I think, yeah, obviously, I think if we if we saw that, we would be like, oh, this is exciting and cool, you know? Yeah. Um, but and es- yeah, especially I, I, for those of us that are maybe more superhero oriented than others, <laughs> we would maybe be a lot more excited about it than wary about your, it. Your kid is Superman. <laughs> yeah. I want um, him to be friends with my kid. Come, <laughs> come over. Yeah, it's um, I, I thought this was. It was, it was actually probably, um, man, I think Bao was also this case, but it was one of the tougher watches, you know, because the moment that the the father lashes out, you know, in anger and frustration and says, why can't you just be normal Mm -hmm. in that, what that does to the kid as he kind of deflates and then kind of hides himself under his hood. Mm -hmm. And it's just like. Oof. And you and you see it because <clears throat> the, the father is, I think we can presume that he was a single dad, you know, because um, yeah. we don't see we don't see the any wife in the in the situation and or mom in the situation. And and then him, I think another kind of allegory is the sense that, like, he has to weigh his kid down out of oh, his, yeah. out of his sheer embarrassment almost and in fear of what, what, what could happen with, with his child. And, and yeah, he's just, he's, he's utterly embarrassed, you know, throughout most of the, the short until the end. And then really comes to accept, you know what I mean? Like the, the, when the kid is Mm -hmm. flying around the playground and he's chasing after him, it's just like he, he at the end lets his kid be who he is. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, like the idea of the rocks in the backpack of weighing him down, um, I immediately kind of went to the, there, there is a lot of debate about whether medication for your child that does not act like other children to help them act like other children is a good thing or not. Right. Um, and so I immediately personally saw the rocks as kind of a, a, a metaphor for medicating his kid to get him to not be the kid floating around anymore. Yeah. But then I also kind of, as kind of moving on to like, like third pass type stuff, I think that that it is absolutely reflective of the ups and downs of kind of interacting with a kid outside of what the normal expectation is. And I think that you see the dad kind of reach his breaking point and lose it with his son and then just, he just can't take it, realizes what he's done when his, when, when the kid floats down and stops being who he really is and then decides to embrace that. And we get this moment of joy that it ends on. Yeah. But what I think is interesting is, the like it ends in kind of like a happy ever after sort of moment but i think that both the father losing his temper and the happy ever after moment of them flying together on the playground are are points kind of on the journey 
that are going to be ups and downs continuously. Right. That it's not necessarily a, oh, the dad has embraced him and now they will. Now things are going to be totally better. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's still some trauma that's going to come out of the dad losing it with his kid. Like the kid doesn't just forget that that happened. Right. You know, that like there's some other stuff that's still going to be going on there. Yeah. And, and, and with that, too, I mean, there's there could be other other times, you know what I mean, where you kind of. Um, it's easier or it's one day and it's harder the next, you know, and and that may not necessarily. Oh, you you may not even handle things always the best way you should, even in the future upon even knowing, right. you yeah. know, so, yeah. Yeah, one other small thing that I noticed kind of on my third pass through was that the you have kind of I feel like the musical cues in this one are are one of the more significant kind of moments of musical cues in their shorts that you have the same repeated quiet music. And then like when we get to the resolution, we have the big swell of the orchestra and it's got kind of the big um, loud kind of swell of music. But what I thought was really interesting is the quiet music that kind of the, what I would say the quiet, like the theme, mm -hmm. what I would say is the theme um, is very reminiscent to me, at least of the, the opening kind of chords and notes of the Jurassic park theme. Oh, wow. The, the just kind of like small tinkle of the piano keys as it's coming through. It always, that's always where my mind takes me, which I just think is interesting. I don't know if, I don't think it has any significance necessarily, I just thought, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I would probably not have picked up on had I not, you know, watched it a few times. Wow. That, now I feel like I really missed out on something because I didn't notice that. <laughs> and if I watched it a third time, maybe I would. <laughs> um, I think also, <clears throat> kind of, I don't mean to beat a, a horse or anything, I beat a dead horse, no. but, you know, I think the scene where, and it's, and it's kind of a fun little moment. And I think it's one of the more, um, one of the moments of levity within the the actual short itself, mm -hmm. but when he's chasing his son around around the house trying to get his jacket on, um, mm -hmm. my my wife, you know, we we watch that. She's like, "Oh yeah, that happens. <laughs> that happens <laughs> when trying to get you know a, a kid who is who um is on you know on the spectrum or you know has special needs, you know, trying to just kind of get them going, you know, yeah, is is challenging so." Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. I, I, for a summer when I was younger, I worked as a substitute teacher for a special needs daycare and the, it's recess time always took however much time I thought it was going to take us to get outside. It always took twice that amount. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I think honestly, there's, there's, there's some good there for us to kind of experience and learn in regards to love and patience and that we could really grow in, you know, mm -hmm. I definitely need that. Um, cause I, I think I would, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say so, you know, but I, I think I would have to really learn, you know, um, and I'm just glad to have something like this to kind of think about and, and kind of go back to and kind of, I don't know, to kind of strike a chord to say there, there is a way forward, you know, and there is a way to be able to handle these kinds of relationships and, and mm -hmm. children in a way that is actually not harmful, but loving and accepting. And yeah, I think, again, 
Pixar, thank you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Isn't it amazing that in what, I think, seven minutes, you get such clear insight into the world of a parent-child interaction that, like, that we don't necessarily have? That you can feel like you know both what the child is feeling and what the parent of that child is feeling yeah. in just like in less than 10 minutes. Yeah. Crazy. And I think that's just amazing how much can be communicated in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, and, and that uh, I want to talk about one that I've never seen before, but was actually probably my favorite watch out of these four. And that would be Lou. Yeah. Lou is great. Um, I have never seen that before, you know, um, before this week, before the podcast. So mm-hmm. I loved it. I absolutely loved this one. Yeah, I did too. That's So it was originally released as kind of like the the pre-show with Cars 3. It's so like okay. if we went to go see that in the movie theaters. Lou was like what played beforehand. Mm-hmm. And it actually got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Short Film that year. Okay. And um, I... Yeah, I really like Lou a lot. Um, in Lou, we get we, we get the kind of we get a character that we've seen a lot before in other Pixar things. We get the bully um, that has to learn something, and that's a uh, not just Pixar. That's a common theme in kids programming in general. <laughs> sure. Um, but kind of on first pass for me, the the two things that I came away with were. One that clearly Lou, whatever Lou is, uh, loves the joy of kids, that that's that's really what's kind of driving Lou. But then also I'm curious in my first pass, is Lou an alien? Because he kind of has moments of seeming like some other aliens we've seen in Pixar things in the way that he's constructed from moment to moment. Or like some sort of like fairy creature or sprite or a monster or like what actually is Lou, uh, which, I mean, we don't really get an answer to. <laughs> right. I, I don't know if I really, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't try to think about it too much. I mean, obviously he's some kind of a amalgamation of all the things that he's gathered, uh-huh. you know, and it seems to be not necessarily always the same, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I, I tried not to think too hard about that because I, <laughs> I almost felt like if I did think too hard about it, it might take away from the, the actual, experience. Yeah, yeah, the actual yeah. experience of the short, you know. But I, I loved him. I thought he was so great. And I think, you know, the first time you watch it, there's so many great laughs within this. Just the, the physical comedy of this yeah. sweatshirt, monster, baseball-eyed thing. <laughs> And yeah, how the I thought, hood is, is the mouth, but it's also his brow at times. You know, and it's just like, and when they're fighting each other and they're trying to run away from each other, like, there are so many funny little gags in this that I love. Like, when he has the, the racket and he's trying to hit him in, the, in the, the sweatshirt, you know, in the face, but he's hitting himself. Or when he's, then after going down the slide, he's hiding in, with a newspaper open, you know, like he's sitting on a bench. I thought the gags in this, first of all, was just so great. So much fun. I agree. I think the slapstick of it all is just what makes it so much fun to watch. This is one of my my kids' favorites. Mm -hmm. This uh, is always a hit. 
when we we do a family movie night every Friday night. And every once in a while, the thing that we've watched is a little bit shorter than kind of what we expect. So we'll watch a short or two. And this is an oft-requested piece. Mm. <laughs> they really love Lou. And what, something that I kind of noticed going through like second and third time type stuff. So I grew up in the Midwest. Elementary schools are not built the way that this elementary school is built. Um, and I thought that it was really interesting that now that I've lived in the Southwest for a little bit, this is a elementary school that's built the way that it is where it's almost always warm because the classrooms go straight out the building to the playground. Okay. And I, I just thought, you know, it's really interesting that it reflects a little bit about where I'm sure the filmmakers grew up and came from in that this is their vision of what an elementary school looks like, that you're going to come straight outside of your classroom and you're just going to be outside already. Yeah. And I just, the, the idea of that just almost makes me shiver thinking about my elementary school because it would be cold so much of the time that interior hallways are absolutely a necessity where I'm from. Oh my gosh. Same here. I mean, upstate New York, man, we're known for winter. It could be winter all year round, you know? What I mean? Yeah. Like, just wait a few <laughs> minutes. It could be May. Dude, we, Jess and I, we got married in May, um, May 11th, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it snowed the day after our wedding. <laughs> so, and the weather was great you know for our wedding day so yeah i i hear you i hear you about that <laughs> oh absolutely sure. well <clears throat> i think I, I think in addition to the slapstick there's a couple of uh, what one of my favorite moments in all the shorts that i've looked at and done this with is when um what what's the kid's name jj when jj and lou are fighting over the backpack and at one point Lou comes completely apart and falls all over JJ. I think it's like mm -hmm. he gets flung up in the air and then kind of lands on him and everything goes everywhere else. And we have just for a second, there's like a glimpse of a horror movie element as all of the pieces of Lou kind of slide across JJ to get back to together, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I think that that is so interesting because it is, like it's 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 straight out of a the monster is right here on top of me kind of moment out of a horror movie, but it's it's done in a way that just is just a hint of creepiness for kids, right? And then it's right back into slapstick goofiness. Yeah, it's kind of John Carpenter's The Thing, but in a playground. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> it is kind of scary because you see the fear on JJ's face as he's forming, and then you get that cute moment where the eyes kind of roll up and you can kind of see the silly, the silly look to them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, it's really great. And then you were saying, yeah, it's, it's the story of a bully, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I think the second time that I watched it, you know, where he's <clears throat> the moment where he's having to give these toys back to the kids that he stole them from. And the first time he's doing it, it's this begrudging kind of thing, which mm -hmm. I'm sure we can all relate to, you know, when we're a kid and our parents tell us to do a certain thing. Absolutely. Kind of like a, <sighs> you know, we're kind of just <laughs> doing it because we have to, or, you know what I mean? Or we're being made to do, to do it. And then once he gets the hug from the girl, it kind of becomes, it then becomes a thing that he's excited for. Yeah. And he realizes I mean, obviously we have the trauma that he experienced and that's why he is the way he is. We can talk about that in a second, 
but I love to see that turn for for uh for him where he's actually excited and feeling more fulfilled making other his his fellow students happy rather than to make them feel sad. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the difference between the first time that he comes back and he's shocked that Lou wants to fill the backpack again for a second trip versus the last time when he comes back and all that's left is is his his stuffed animal at the bottom. Like he's super excited when he comes back. He's like pointing at his backpack. He's like, fill it up, fill it up. And there's not anything left. And that, yeah, that change from that first fill up time to that last one, it really is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. I th- this was just so delightful and it was so good. It was so, so good. Yeah. And I, I think it, you know, it, you, on one level, you have, it kind of takes its place in a long tradition of, self-sacrifice to help a child grow kind of moments Mm -hmm. in that you have Lou basically giving himself up in order to help JJ become a different person. And there's a lot of, there's a long tradition of that sort of thing, but like you alluded to earlier, you mentioned earlier the kind of trauma that he had of when a bully took his thing and the moment when Lou realizes I think from the tag on JJ's underwear. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, a little weird, but you know, it works. Uh, yeah. Great. That's, that, that would be a place that a kid might have a tag with their name on it. That's fair. Um, but I think that the moment that he recognizes, oh, I know that handwriting, I've got something that's this kid's. With Lou, it seems like he almost makes a decision of helping the kid become a better person as opposed to just, I want this kid to give back the stuff he stole. Like, it seems yeah. like there's a, just a moment where you can see the decision that's made of kind of what, what he's going to do. And, yeah. and again, this is another one of those where I'm just amazed. The, the runtime, it's a six minute long short. And you see so much growth in the character of JJ and the sacrifice of Lou and just kind of how one like Lou inspiring JJ's one single person action changes the entire feel of the elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I love this one because I think it, it has all the feels Oh yeah. that we're talking about and it has all the fun that you want to from an animated thing, yeah. you know? And I think it, it speaks to the fact that your kids keep returning to it and they love it. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think that's just a testament to how great this short is, you know? Yeah, we talk about it as it's an example of how significant being kind to others is. That, like, yeah. kindness can change people. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's get to the last one. You bet. Um, and I, this is actually the last one that I watched um, out of the list. Mm-hmm. And it's the one that I think I'm the most surprised to in comparison to the other ones where... I think in watching it, I didn't, the, the main big theme wasn't as, as apparent or um, as monumental, I guess, for me as these other ones were. So uh-huh. I'm a little bit, I was a little bit left surprised that you included this one, but I want to, yeah, I'm interested in kind of going to the conversation. Sure. Yeah. I think that, well, so I wanted to pick one that uh, perhaps listeners would be more familiar with the characters at least from the okay. jump, because sure. um, I, Up is a fairly popular Pixar movie. And I think 
for watching this um, Doug's Doug's special mission for this particular short, knowing the movie up or having watched the movie up makes this, I think, a different short than it is if you've never seen the movie before. Sure. Now, I think that might be it because I've only seen, I think I've only seen Up once. Mm -hmm. I've seen the beginning of Up probably 10 or 15 times (laughs) um, because, but I think, I think that's usually when people say I love Up or, you know, Up is such a great movie. I think they're usually only talking about the 15 minutes at the start (laughs) because it's so like beautifully done. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you're probably right. I can't exactly remember everything about the movie, to be honest. With you. Oh, sure. Well, so, okay. So. If, if we were ta- looking at this particular one and kind of the three paths sort of thing, the first thing through, it's just what sticks with you, I think, most is just the funny ways that the world conspires to thwart Alpha's plans for Doug. Yes. That, like, no matter what he comes up with, with no fault of his own that Doug's doing exactly what he's told, but it does not work out the way it's supposed to at all. Right. And, and I think that that's funny. And we, we find out that it's, it's his birthday and that it's, um, he says it's, it's going to be the happiest day of his life. And it certainly does not appear that way as we're watching it because his pack is just picking on him the whole day. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Jess um, loves animals. She was very upset in watching this one with me because she did not like to see the dogs be mean to Doug yeah. at all. <laughs> She's like, why are we watching this? This is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, and I think it's really interesting that, so if, you, if you've seen Up, then you already probably have a soft spot for Doug because right. the interaction between him and Carl and how long it takes Carl to thaw towards Doug like is just like you're rooting for Doug the whole time and you're like please stop being a grump just love this dog this dog's great and so mm-hmm. if if you have that kind of going in like we know a little bit maybe of where we're going to to end and having when um when they when Carl and um oh I just forgot the 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 kid's name is it Gene or something is it oh. Uh, I'll, I'm sure that I will remember it. <laughs> Russell, I'm pull it up Russell. right now. Russell, you're right. Russell, uh, yeah. When Carl and Russell show up, Gene, way off. <laughs> Gene, Russell, I can, you you can maybe get there, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway, um, go on. So we we get we we it ends at the point that we first meet Doug in the movie, mm-hmm. and. And so we kind of, and now it's kind of tied in. Oh, so this is the parallel story of what's going on with him while Carl and Russell are doing all their thing until they meet up. But I think that a couple of things that I noticed a little bit more on kind of a second and third pass that I found really interesting is, so we he tells Alpha that he made a birthday wish. And it's just kind of like a dropped line. Like he just, he mentions it and Alpha's like, oh, that's cute. Or some other patronizing kind of response. And then we don't find out until the very, very end what his birthday wish actually was. Um, But then also, uh, and and I went back and specifically watched this section. Um, When he says that it's his birthday and it's going to be the happiest day of his life, Doug is on, on screen the whole time. 
but that is a voiceover of a future version yeah. of Doug. And and you can specifically it's show it's showing his color is not it's not him talking to Alpha. It's a voiceover from the mm-hmm. future. So he's telling us this is this is going to be, it's not this like I wish, I hope. It's not an I wish moment in it. It's he's actually telling us, I'm looking back on this moment. And I, I think that's really interesting. Or just I found that really interesting that he's he's speaking from the future. And that when when he when his wish is fulfilled for a new master, that it's it ties directly into this other piece of media that many of us have already seen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I can't help but go to the spiritual connotations of us wanting a new master. And I'm sure that that might be some of the things, the things there, you know, we want things better. You know, he's he was obviously mistreated. He was obviously um, yeah. not regarded in the highest esteem amongst his peers or his, you know, whatever. And that's kind of the way things are in the world, you know? Well, and I think that when when this kind of first got released, I think a lot of, because um, this came out as part of their, I think that the first time it was released was part of the Pixar collections they were collecting the short films and this was one of the new ones that i think was on their second set that they released and i think a a lot of critics treated it as a like a looney tunes inspired slapstick thing that it was that it's nothing but light and fluff um that there's nothing there's there's nothing kind of there and i think on first reaction absolutely but i think kind of digging into it a little bit more we can see that there is a little bit more kind of grounded stuff to like doug has a life-changing moment and looks back at this as like the best like pivotal moment of his life in in a similar way as some of these other ones that we've looked at sure and i think you you missaid it i think you meant to say as we are dugging into it oh that's fair i did miss that opportunity didn't i (laughs) (laughs) um man tim i am i am so glad that that these this is what we ended up doing this is not what i expected at all (laughs) this is not where i thought you were gonna say i was like yeah i'm gonna have tim and he's gonna he's gonna pick the topic that we talk about and like this was just so surprising and so delightful you know just to do because they're like you said, they're, they're easy to watch. You know, you just put them on and you, you watch in a little bit and it's a, it's kind of an easy task to do even just to watch each of them th- two or three times mm-hmm. over. And um, it's just, it speaks, it's, it speaks beautifully, you know, um, to, to pull out meaning and um, to really pull out the messages within them, you know, and sometimes even with a long form, stories even disney's long form stories of animation it's hard to like derive okay what is the what is the message yeah. what is the moral of the story and like i last week we did snow white and the seven dwarfs what's the moral of snow white and the seven dwarfs it's kind of harder to kind of pinpoint than to let's say talk about what's this what's the meaning behind bow yeah. or what's the meaning behind loo or float you know and i think it's and those are way shorter, you know? So I think this is just awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of times with a shorter run length, you have to be a little bit more, not blunt, but you really have to kind of get to the point a little bit more than yeah. when you've got 
you know, a two hour long movie, you've got lots and lots of space in there to be able to kind of slowly build up to something. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, have you checked out the Pixar popcorns uh, yet? They just I, dropped. I this just past saw, week. well, I, I watched, I watched one of them. I watched one of the toy story ones, but I haven't watched okay. the rest of them yet. I was, that was on my list of things to try to get done before we got this. And we, we had this huge snowstorm that kind of shut everything else down. <laughs> I think it kind of oh, hit yeah. us after it hit you. <laughs> we got hit with it today, and I'm looking outside. I'm going, I have to walk yeah. in this? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, they're cute. I mean, they're each only a, like a minute long mm-hmm. each, and most of them don't have any dialogue. So, yeah, yeah, they're good. They're good. Um, but it's it's not as meaty as some of these other yeah. ones, you know. But um, Well, hey, um, I think that's kind of going to wrap up our main – you know, conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to get to absolutely? Tim, you are. I know you're a big MCU guy or a, a comic book superhero guy. So I know you've been watching WandaVision. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is like our this is our first time into MCU original programming stuff for Disney Plus. So I'm I'm just loving it. I'm eating it up with a spoon. Um, how have you been feeling about it? I mean, we've got only the first three episodes, and we'll talk specifically about the third episode. But what have you been thinking about? You know, how do you feel about it in the first few episodes? Well, so I had a you're you're absolutely right that I'm a huge comic book nerd. Uh, it's not exactly what you said, but that's what I heard because that's true. Um, hey, hey, me too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, and so I automatically immediately went to when I heard about this, I was like, oh, I think it's going to be a combination of this really interesting run of Vision Comics where he's headquartered in the suburbs and basically yeah. tries to do this suburban life thing and kind of Avengers disassembled House of M. Like yeah. these, uh, like some combination of these three. And as I've been watching it, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I think this is it. I think this is it. Yeah. But there are so many other questions that even if that's kind of the overall kind of outline or flow of where we're going, there's so many interesting things as part of it and how the MCU always has like an interesting twist on classic comic storylines when they use them. Yep. And I'm really interested to see kind of how it ends up moving forward. Yeah, I mean, this is this is like one of the, the riskiest, most interesting thing Disney, yeah. our MCU has done in their 10 years plus of existing. Absolutely. You know? Like, what a risk. I mean, <laughs> this is, like, I think it's, it's so surprising to how much of a sitcom this show is. Yeah, that, I was not expecting that at all. Yeah, I mean, they, they always have comedic elements within their movies. And it's always fun. And we can say, oh, what are our favorite moments? What was your favorite line? What was the funniest thing that Tony Stark said or whatever? Yeah. But with this, it is probably it's 90% comedy sitcoms, you know, playing tribute to the tropes of whatever decade this episode's coming from. And then 10% or less, it being like the connective tissue, what's, you know, of what's the dramatic side of things or... Yeah, the bigger picture of the MCU. It's yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I so they they had they did re- like open up their set to reporters for the when they were filming the very first um, episode. Okay, and some of the things that kind of I I've read a you know a bunch of different articles well before this all actually started coming out, and one of the things that I found the most interesting is at least for the first episode, and I assume they continued on. They they used thing they only used lenses that were available when that style of sitcom was first filmed. That's amazing. And they used special effects that were available, like the wire work um, was straight out of what they did for like Bewitched or I Love yeah. Lucy. That they used the techniques of that. They even had the crew dress in period clothes. So like you're on you're on camera looking out and the guy behind the camera is wearing the same period as you are Amazing. like he fits the set that you're on so the craft services all the way up to the yeah. director yeah which that's i think is so cool. awesome i think that's so interesting and yeah, i think that's great and i think that that really translates i think within the performances themselves you know, I think the performances of the two leads of Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are so fantastic in really capturing that era, you know? Yeah. And the, and the differences in each episode as they kind of move along in the, their choices and the acting and their performances change. And I think it's, I think it's so cool to watch. I absolutely agree. And like, I, I think that so with the third episode, I think they, they hit the, it is the perfect theme song. Like the first two were great, but the th- the theme song for the third episode, I was like, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That opening was, I think so far with the three episodes, the opening for the third episode is my favorite. Oh for yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So we watched, I watched it with Jess and she's mm-hmm. like, yep, that was the best opening. That's my favorite because <laughs> it's, it's so Brady bunch. It is. You know? It's and- so, I don't know. I don't think necessarily Happy Days is in there, but it's it's definitely a, a Brady Bunch theme, and it's it's so good. Well, and you and you get kind of the nods of what they're wearing and everything, but Paul Bettany's hair, more yeah. than anything else, communicates the exact placement of time where we're at because it is that is some amazing seventies hair that they have him in for that episode. It's true. It's true. And, you know, with, with the sitcom elements, you know, we, the, the music at the beginning, the opening montage is so good. Mm-hmm. And I think those are always like something you think about, you know, moving forward is, you know, when you look back at some of your favorite shows through history was the theme songs to the openings. And they were so good, whether, you know, for my generation, it was like Boy Meets World, Full House and Family Matters, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But you, yeah. And it'll be interesting. I want to talk about at the end what we think they might do for the next episode, but Let's get to kind of what was the the comedic juice within this? What was the main idea within this episode? So for this, we have Wanda is pregnant suddenly and surprisingly. And Vision, they lean heavily on the hapless husband, father-to-be tropes that were Mm -hmm. very much part of this decade of sitcoms. Of the Vision, an analytical character, someone that knows a lot of information, like clearly the way he's going to do it is he's going to, he's going to do research. So he's, he's like trying to understand what's going on and he's trying to mathematically figure out things throughout the whole thing. He takes a very logical approach 
which in the 70s in sitcoms, that's how that basically was kind of the role of the, the dad was yeah. he's the one that's going to try to logic through things and mom is going to understand how you feel. And I thought that they just did a spot on not even satire. It's 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 I I expected satire. I think that's really what it is, is I expected WandaVision to be a satire of these different things, not to mm-hmm. be like actually fully embracing and swimming in the waters of those cultural moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's so good. Um, and I'll, I'll, you, you see, you see them handling things obviously in different ways and you mm-hmm. get that, you know, and I, <clears throat> I love with her, you know, her interactions with Gerald, Geraldine um, and the stork. Oh my gosh. The stork was so funny. Yeah. And that, that whole situation, I was dying laughing. And I think I'm, I, as I go back and I watch these episodes, I'm dying laughing. And I think the previous episode, uh, episode two, when they're doing the magic show and Paul Bentney in that, as he's drunk or, you know, he's gummed up with his yeah. beard. <laughs> this, this show is just, is such a pleasing watch. You know, it's so much fun. It really you know? is. My only like criticism in this episode is that I did not get enough Catherine Hahn. And from the previous two episodes, she has been like part of my favorite. I don't know. My favorite part within this movie or this show, Yeah, you know, and there just wasn't enough of her. And I wanted to see her more in this episode. And so when she comes in at the end, I'm like, finally, there she is because she has me dying every time. Cause she's basically playing in the, the first two episodes she's playing ethel from i love lucy you yeah. know and she's you know and it's just she is so spot on in her performance too of being the, the best friend you know or the friend next door kind of a thing and yeah she was she's always delightful to see in these in these episodes but this kind of you know the dark turn for this was definitely a little a little creepy a little crazy when that when that finally happened yes it was. Each episode has those dark turns yeah, I thought that the her whole interaction with Geraldine and all the the moments that show that Geraldine is a person who doesn't quite fit in with everything around her was very yeah. interesting. That like the moment that she heard the stork, it was like she completely dropped character. You know, where yeah. where she's she's a different person who's actually scared and afraid of something. Not yeah the character that she was playing kind of and even even things about the like i mean i think that it's totally period accurate that the the doctor is going to be talking down to not just the pregnant woman but every woman in the room uh we like to make it simple here's some fruit and then he picks papaya like how many people off the top of their head then or now can go oh this is what a papaya is. It's about this big and show us with their hands. It's not like it's a apple. You know what I mean? Like I just thought that it was right. funny that he's trying to make it simple. And then he picks kind of some outlandish examples, but then, yeah, true. but the, the, I, I think my favorite moment in, in the entirety of the episode is when the doctor is um, complimenting Geraldine on the way that she handled everything. And he's like, I think you have the makings of a, you could be a nurse. The yeah. look between Geraldine and Wanda at how patronizing that comment is 
I just thought was mm-hmm. great and, and was very much not of that time period, I feel like. Like that was one right. one thing that did not fit with the sitcom of that. And I was like, that seemed like both of them reacting from the core of who they are, as opposed to mm-hmm. the parts that they're playing in this sitcom world. Right. I, f- I feel like it's the modern part of the episode that's kind of looking to the audience and saying, we see this, right. you know what yes. I mean? We're, we're acknowledging this, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we have the moment, you know, she, they, in the span of one episode, I mean, she basically gets pregnant and then gives birth to twins. Yeah. And, you know, we, if you're a fan of the comics, you know, that Wanda does have twin boys, mm-hmm. you know, and they do end up becoming superheroes, you know, Wiccan and Speed. Um, and so Tommy and Billy, as those are her, their names. So that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see if we see them age. We, I mean, we probably will you know, in the next step. Yeah, that's fair. You know I, mean? I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I mean, they're going to probably age, right? I mean, who knows? Who, who knows? I mean, there's, there's obviously something going on <laughs> you know, with, with what we're seeing on the screen. And we see that, you know, that haunting moment and it's in all the episodes from that, you know, we've gotten so far, there's this moment where it's just haunting and weird. And in this, we get this sense from the neighbors, Catherine Hahn, and um, oh gosh, I don't remember who his character's name is, but Herb. the neighbor who is working on the fence. Herb. Herb. Um, you know, that they're like, something is off with Geraldine, you know, and, and they're scared to, to even mention it. And I'm, I'm getting more and more of this Truman Show almost theme yeah. kind of going along here too. And I think Wanda is the one to blame, obviously. Yeah. I, yeah. One of the things that I talked about with, with my wife, Rachel, as we were watching this and kind of afterwards is that interaction with, with um, Agnes and Herb when they're talking and Vision kind of notices something's off about their conversation and moves over is they seem like they're trying to communicate something to him, but I couldn't decide if they're trying to communicate that Geraldine is a problem, like they don't trust her, or if they're trying to communicate Geraldine is here to help us and possibly also you. Right. And and just couldn't decide if that was a... Yeah, I just wasn't sure which way to come down on that. We kind of went back and forth on that one. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is interesting. I Because we're definitely given the sense, that, or he's given the sense that Geraldine is, is something to be scared of or need to be careful with, you know? Yes. But I think I get the sense that they're, they're basically play acting almost to some degree within the episodes that they're in. And they have to kind of play with certain rules that they're kind of being given. But I think it's the, in a weird way, I think Wanda is the, is the perpetrator. She is the villain almost in some degree, some degree as these people are probably just kind of existing within this world or this orb that surrounds Westview. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we we see Geraldine be jettisoned out of at the end of the episode. Yeah. The, the, the question that I, I think is for me, one of the most interesting ones is was Westview a real town that somehow has been changed into what it is now or is everything a construct because it seems like either way 
the people who populate Westview are in some way aware that they are living a faked reality, but have to stay yeah. on script. And I'm not sure which I would find more kind of horrific, whether it's taking over a town and bending it to your whim or creating one and making everyone self-aware that they're a creation that is entirely dependent on someone else's whims. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Oh yeah. Cause I, you know, with, with Wanda herself, because, and it makes me really, really sad for vision, you know, because I'm, I mean, you know, I think we have to, acknowledge the fact the last time we saw vision he was dead so we don't ever have an explanation on why he's alive you know yeah and well, so and, they, and i and think they, it's gonna go ahead oh i was just gonna say and they kill him twice too not yeah. just a we're gonna he's died but we're going to really underline it by rewinding time and doing it again yeah and i and i i think maybe i mean this is i'm i'm hoping and i'm and i'm thinking i i think we're gonna kind of depart from vision moving forward after this maybe this is my guess after this series wraps and i'm just hoping that this is kind of their way to say a better goodbye to the character than him dying outright like we've seen him i i'm hoping that this will be kind of that this is just my guess but i could be wrong that this is wanda kind of coming to terms with things Mm -hmm. ultimately and um coming to terms that she lost him and then kind of having this dream world of what she could have had with him and then ultimately letting him go in the end, you know, and then again, then there'll be a third death for vision, but that's just my guess, you know, yeah. but we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. It'll be um, really interesting kind of to see. Yeah. To see if he comes out of it and has been reborn into the world or if it's her coming to grips with he's not part of the world anymore, like which outcome they end up going with. Right, right. And my guess would be the latter mm-hmm. in that, but, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. We'll have to see. Um, now, my, my next question is, have you, have you gone off and buy, buy the, the Hydra soap yet? <laughs> the uh, Get away without leaving your own your space. When your kids are too much for you, go soak in Hydra. <laughs> Oh the, man, the, the I, commercials, man. The commercials are great. And to be honest, that particular commercial made me think of the there was a storyline on Agents of Shield where they've created I don't remember what they call it in the episode, but basically the Matrix. Right. And people are like connected into that and it's this this world where Hydra has won everything and taken over everything. And right, that, right. That was the connect. I immediately thought of that. Uh, those episodes of Agents of Shield. So I was like, oh, yeah, go away without actually leaving at all. That sounds so much like what that was about. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I also I remember that because I watched Agents of Shield. I haven't watched the last season. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll have to go back and watch that and catch up. There's still some MCU stuff that I haven't fully watched yet that I need to kind of finish up, but. So my, my big question for you now, Tim, Yes, is where do they go in the next episode? What do you think? What, we're, I'm going to expect that we're going to the 80s. Yes. Um, but what sitcom do they play tribute to, do you think? Well, so I feel like with the 80s, I just don't, I just don't have a real great grasp on which, on like what is the quintessential sitcom there. 
because yeah. you know you could go like even with all the problematic stuff of of who started it the cosby show might be kind of the quintessential 80s comedy show or sitcom um and so i don't know if if that's where you go if you get that kind of a feel to it mm-hmm. um to be perfectly honest the one that i just can't wait for just to find out what what sitcom they go after is the 90s i just i feel like they've got to go full house they have to with elizabeth olsen on that, there? that they, it absolutely has to be and and their house changes just a little bit every decade like it's basically oh, the I same structure and the the stairs move closer and closer to the front door with every uh decade and so i'm i'm kind of hoping that by the time we get to the 90s the stairs will be in the exact right spot they need to be for it to be very full house-esque yeah and honestly that's been i think also a lot of the most the the biggest fun of watching the series is the the architecture of the house changing and obviously like we already talked about the fashion as well with the hair oh yeah and just just watched this episode she's like i want to live there i want that house oh yeah i want i want those windows i want everything about that house (laughs) so yeah i mean i i hope that the music or the opening number for the 80s would be somewhat of a tribute to golden girls because there is not a better opening song than the golden girls song um for that show that is absolutely true I had, I had yeah. been kind of, I had been thinking A-Team, even though it's not at all a sitcom. I had just a, sure. a moment of uh, A-Team, but no, Golden Girls would be, that would be amazing. Yeah, and if we could maybe pull some things in there. I mean, obviously they're not going to be, you know, four old ladies living in a house together, but I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think they could go in a good direction. I forgot about the Cosby show, you know, but they could go something along those lines, but Ooh. You gotta do something along with the fashion, obviously. Or and you um or if they if the kids have grown enough by the next episode, you could do like a family ties kind of thing, maybe. Family ties, yeah, growing pains. Oh, and growing pain the 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 showrunner was a I can't remember what it is. He was like an in, in one of the last seasons of Growing Pains, I think that he was one of the new characters. Oh, that's so I funny. Think. Um and that's great. And that and that would be that would be perfect if growing pains is what we get and then we, yeah oh yeah that would I don't know it'll be so awesome whichever it is yeah I I pardon me wishes and I don't know if they'll get there because I think I honestly could see them taking a couple um, episodes to do the nineties because I think there's some different things like obviously there's supposed to be nine episodes and we're moving pretty quickly obviously some of these are going to be kind of doubled up within decades yeah but I. I, I would love for them to do something along the lines of Cheers or Frasier because those are some of my favorites. Oh, absolutely. Or if they were to do something, we you know, you and I were talking about this earlier, but, you know, Friends or Seinfeld, you know, they could they can do something along those lines, too. Mm-hmm. You know, can you imagine if they did a Seinfeld episode? <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be. That would be crazy. So. All right. Well, that's going to kind of wrap us up, I think, Tim, for this week. Um, thank yeah. you for coming on. No problem. All right. Thank you this for is, inviting me. Awesome. I really have had a great time. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and hey, you know, in, in the coming weeks, would you be interested in coming back on to talk WandaVision if need be? Sure. Yeah. If you need me, just give awesome. me a ring. 
Awesome. Sounds good, man. All right, listeners, uh, stick around because you're going to be able to hear what we have planned for next week as we start getting into February. So stay tuned. All right, extremers, I wanted to get to what we're going to be covering next week for the podcast. I wanted to actually bring on another special guest, um, have it be a guest episode again. I invited my good friend and um, past co-worker from the movie theater, Azure. Uh, she lives in town here in Oneana, and I asked her to come onto the show and pick something that she would be excited about talking about, something that would be important to her. And she picked James Cameron's Avatar. Yeah, this is this was a big surprise to me that um, she was like, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. And I, I was like, okay, awesome. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be talking about one of the biggest blockbuster hits to come out in theaters over like the past 10 to 15 years being Avatar. So um, it's on Disney+. Plus, and so you can watch that at any point. It's not technically a Disney movie, though. If you went down to Disney World, you could go down to Pandora and venture around and take flight of passage and and hang out with the navi um but here we are we're gonna watch that it's a it's a great movie actually I, i'm excited about watching it because my wife jess has never seen it before and we're gonna make a, a a night of it and it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome so that's what you can have looking forward to for next week's show and of course we're gonna be talking about the fourth episode of wandavision in which i think azure is gonna stick around and we're gonna talk about that for a bit all right guys thanks for tuning in and i'll see you next week on extreming disney Bye bye